0: Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com.au slash podcast. That's G O. M-A-R-K-E-T-S.com.au slash podcast or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com.au Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of GoMarkets, an AFSL licence holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com.au. In this episode, we spoke with Adam Taylor, Adam is a director of Go Markets and head of Go Markets UK. What I like about Adam is that he has a brilliant ability to see patterns, whether it's playing chess or using point and figure analysis to better understand the sentiment in the market. During my own time at Go Markets, Adam was always the cool cucumber you look to when you wanted an opinion or topic settled. A very, very useful skill set for someone. Previously tasked with the majority of risk management in the business, this chat with Adam was a great insight into what makes a go markets director tick, plus how things are looking within the UK, particularly with Brexit uh, happening at the very same time. Uh, we covered numerous topics, including chess, moving from Scotland to Australia, his progression within Go Markets, the UK market itself, and what's happening with Brexit or what should hope happen over the next few months risk management, fundamental and technical analysis as well. If you enjoyed this episode, do consider subscribing on your podcast app, or if you have a friend or colleague that may enjoy this topic, consider sharing it with them. But with that being said, let's get into the episode with Adam Taylor. Adam, thanks for joining, mate. It's, uh, (laughs) what is it over there? 8.45am, no, 8.23am or something like that?
1: It is 9.23 a.m. here in London. 9.23, okay, yeah.
0: How's the weather in good old London town? It is
1: freezing, absolutely freezing. Yes. Wow. Everyone's huddled together at the stations.
0: (laughs) I love London personally. I know my partner, she absolutely hates it. But um, I don't know, there's something a bit kooky about London. I've always been a big fan of Sherlock Holmes, you know, and I get that sort of, you know, whenever I watch the Sherlock series from the BBC, and I hear that music in the the you know the introduction music, I just think of London, and I, I just sort of get that cool, spooky feeling. I don't know why, but I just I, I do like it like that. But it's, it's, let's not hear me, okay. <laughs> let's not hear me ramble on about that. Uh, first question for you: How good are you at chess?
1: How good am I at chess? Okay, <laughs> um, I have been known to navigate my way around the chessboard. Um, okay. There is a danger of me telling you how good I am, though Jordan. And Why the danger is, that? is that either yourself or anyone listening will probably not want to play me. <laughs> uh, it happens all the time. Um, it's yeah. very frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah. How did you? Because that was the thing that I noticed when I was looking at your profile. Like I, I'd, you know, I worked for you for a few years. I knew you were you liked chess, and we spoke about it a few times. But I had no idea that you were a coach. So, how did you get into? that space
1: um how i became a chess coach is basically when i was at university in brisbane and as obviously any student knows you're just sort of trying to make money where you can um i had several jobs at the time working behind a bar and and uh at a resort and things um and i was lucky enough to notice a job advertisement for a chess coach on the gold coast and um, basically involved traveling around schools and teaching groups of children how to improve the game and take them to tournaments and things. And it was fantastic because, you know, I got a lot out of it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's – what a brilliant job to have at uni. Th- that, that's another interesting thing when I was looking at your profile. Like you moved from Scotland and you have to fill us in at what age, but you moved out to the Gold Coast. And I, I was just thinking what a shock in terms of the weather
1: right? <laughs> it was huge. It was a huge shock. Um, so, this was back in 2000 um, and I was about 15, 16 at the time. Yes, coming from dreary cold Scotland to the harsh winter, uh, summer of uh, Queensland, it was a big shock, definitely.
0: <laughs> can, you, can you remember why you guys came out here?
1: Yeah. Um, basically, my mother, she's a teacher and um, she'd always wanted to Live in Australia, um, and she got an opportunity of teaching post out here, and sorry, in Australia, and um, yeah, so I moved with my mother and my two younger sisters, and um, yeah, it was it was very exciting times.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's super fascinating. It's you know, we obviously get a lot of Poms that move out, but um, I never heard. You you obviously would see a lot of Scottish. Types that will move out because of the nicer weather, but it's it's one yeah. of those funny things where you move from Scotland to the Gold Coast and that, that weather differential is huge. Which part of Scotland?
1: Uh, so, I'm originally from Fife, um, which is on the east coast of
0: Scotland. Okay. I've not been there. I know I've been to Inverness, I've been to Edinburgh, um, uh, Stirling as well, by Stirling. Oh, yeah. It's a nice spot. It's a great place in the world. I do love Scotland. Do you get much? Do you get up there much now that you're sort of living out of London?
1: Not as much as I'd like to, um, but it's close enough. Um, there is plans yeah. to uh, do a lot more trips in the near future.
0: Yeah. Now, thinking about that time during your childhood, I was just curious with what you've done now. What mm. did you think you were going to be when you were a kid? When I was a kid. <laughs>
1: I wanted to be a geologist. I was okay. very passionate about being a geologist. Basically, I was one of those kids that had a rock collection, and my idea of top day no out was basically I was heading to the beach searching for fossils. I was such a nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think my what? saving. Gra- I think my saving grace was the fact that I was actually a half decent footballer, so my street right. cred was still intact.
0: Yeah. Well, where did this come from? Do you think, like, what was the archetype that you had in your head? Was it like the cliche David? That uh, was his name, David Edinburgh, <laughs> or was it like? Did you have some other ideas in your head, or you know, do you remember reading uh, sort of geography books? Is it? I, I remember reading sort of books like that as well as a real bookworm. Yeah. Um, and seeing how they'd show like the layers of where the dinosaurs sit and the earth's core and all that sort of stuff. And I'd love looking at that. But I'd never sort of saw myself as someone who'd go find a few rocks. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I think it was it all stemmed from uh, my father. He sort of had an interest, almost sort of a a hobby. And obviously, when you're young age, you're very impressionable. And that's basically how I got interested into it.
0: Speaking of your father... One thing we've we've asked a lot of our guests because I think it sort of illuminates a little bit about who they are is lessons that they've learned from either of their parents, and you know you may see that through your own personality or something that you sort of use as a way to make decisions on a daily or weekly basis. So I'm curious, growing up and, and knowing who you are today, are there any particular principles that you've Learned from your parents
1: indirectly or directly at all? Um, it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, I think probably more so my grandfather. Um, I think I learned a lot of life lessons through him. I remember him right. being very patient. Um, and he was very doting on everyone. He was always interested in you know making sure everyone else is okay and you know keeping everyone connected and communicating. Um, so I think I, I think I get a lot from him. My parents, again. I think um, as a kid, you're, you learn by example. Um, and I hope my parents aren't listening to this uh, <laughs> because I think <laughs> indirectly I've learned what not to do. Um, but I okay. mean, <laughs> you know, there's, there's certain things growing up when I'm thinking, why did they make that decision? Why didn't they yeah. do this? And uh, you know, credit to them, you can only work with the information you have, the time. But um, well, look
0: you're 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 a parent now as well you know I mean well, this, a very fresh parent so you know how parent, yes. tough it's 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 it can be and how it can be into the future as well
1: Exactly exactly but that's that's what excites me the most about being a new parent I think um I'm looking forward to uh trying to do those things for my own uh, children going forward
0: Yeah yeah Will you teach your child chess, do you think?
1: Of course, yeah. Yeah. I was was reading books while he was in the womb.
0: (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, look, that was one of the things I loved to do with my dad when I was a kid. And he would come home and like he came home quite late or, you know, like once a week me and my brother one at a time would play my dad um, and right. that was, we had a lot of enjoyment with that because it was sort of like a real, real challenge because we were like, Oh, dad's so good. Like, how do you beat dad? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think there was like a turning point when we we're like 14 or 13 or something yeah. like that. But yeah, it's, it's, that stuff is really enjoyable.
1: Um, well, it's funny you should say that because, um, it is something that, uh, my father taught me indirectly as well, playing chess, because he was always a, hmm. a really good chess player. But I would play him for several years as a kid growing up like yourself in the evenings at the weekends and I would lose every single time, you know, every <laughs> single time. And, you know, it taught me persistence, In your because know, every time I'm learning something new, I'm refining the process. And, and again, I got to about the age of 16 and I started beating him.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think I was actually talking to my partner about this today, like, you know, in an age where a lot of kids are given participation awards, I think having real competitive sport, whether it's chess, whether it's martial arts or soccer or whatever, um, I yep. think that stuff is really, really useful. As you said, it teaches you persistence. Um, it teaches you to be competitive, I think, um, as well as patient. So it's I think it's, it's chess is very, work. very
1: very hard for kids. Yeah. It's that's um, playing something that they're losing constantly to keep motivated to carry on. Um, so, yeah, it's a good lesson.
0: Exactly. Um, now, as, as I said, I was looking at your early career, initially a chess coach, sort of a few different jobs before you eventually fell into this space of the world of Forex and CFDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you remember falling into all of this?
1: Basically, I was studying architecture in brisbane um at the time and I, it was i was a little bit directionless you know I was, I was doing architecture but not really knowing why um i guess i'd always had an interest in historical buildings and and uh and i had some sort of skills that would be useful for that um career mm. but it just so happened that at the time I, I stumbled across um a book by robert kiyosaki called rich dad poor dad um <laughs> and basically I'd always avoided finance. I'd never been interested in numbers or, you know, mathematics, which is kind of strange for a chess player, but I suppose. But, um, yeah, just an area that I wasn't interested in. And basically what ended up happening was I was going to the library for architecture books and I'd come out with, you know, 20 business finance books and became a sponge. I just wanted in. Wow.
0: And those books, were they just like personal finance books like – rich dad poor dad or were they you know varied were they like investing and uh business matter? like how, how did you do you remember some of the names of those books at all
1: um not off the top of my head but it was, it was a quite a range of finance books um i just couldn't believe that i'd ignored this space for so long i guess no one in my family was sort of financially literate you could say like no one had taught me any of this any of these uh areas of knowledge and i sort of felt like I'd missed out and I just wanted to catch up. Um, so I got really yeah. interested and it was actually seeing a couple of stock charts and I thought, like, what's this? Um, because basically the more I found out, it, it just became like a giant chessboard. I saw the markets as a, as a place where, you know, seeing strengths and weaknesses and combinations, you know, playing out moves and, and that's what got me hooked.
0: And that's what I thought because, I mean, if you look at your career, obviously, there's chess there but you're very technical and, and you like looking for patterns and it's always sort of been your um, sort of one of those feathers in your caps, if that makes sense. Yes. Like it's been one of those areas that um, you're really good at. Um, yep. I know you've studied to become, I don't know if you're still doing it now or if you finished it but certified financial technician and the msta and we'll get into more about technical analysis um but that that has been a really interesting observation from my perspective is how maybe that that excitement for chess and looking for patterns and pattern recognition is is what sort of piqued your interest in this area as well um now i know you worked your way up in go markets in the business from a technical analyst, all the way up to doing a bit of risk management, and now running the UK business as director. Yes. How have you seen your progression over that period of time?
1: Um, I've actually seen it as quite a natural progression. Um, Chris Gore, I see you pointed out in the previous podcast. Go Markets is quite a unique place of employment, mm. you know, where a lot of employees are encouraged to try different things and play to their individual strengths. And I've basically had been fortunate enough to move between the different departments and and um, just get a real good grounding of how everything works. Um, but I always had yeah. an eye on the training desk, obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I started off in sales, moved to support, new accounts. Um, like I say, so as a director now, I sort of I'm able to understand each department's role much more.
0: Yeah, and I think you're definitely right. That element at Go Markets where you can base, so long as you, you know they recognize that you're a decent individual and they want to keep you there, they'll allow you to float through to different teams. And I definitely think that that skill set of sort of a jack of all trades, but specialist in that technical aspect has is, is definitely helped you. Now, on the UK, because obviously you're based there in London, as we've discussed, the UK market is super fascinating, particularly because of Brexit, which I think. Is coming up in March this year, yeah. but also like the last five to let's say seven years, let's say since the GFC, the, the arrival of fintech companies or tech companies that really pushing the finance system over there has mm-hmm. been huge. So, I'm curious as to your time now, you've had about two years since 2016 in London. What have you learnt so far? What have been the most interesting observations being based in the city?
1: Um, it's. I mean, for starters, it's totally different from uh, Melbourne and Australia, obviously. Um, there's so much more going on this side of the world. Um, <laughs> it's something that I've learned. I think is you've got to try and remain flexible to the sort of potential changes and just take the time to do things properly. You know, you avoid looking for shortcuts, especially when it comes to sort of regulatory guidelines. And it's just in a constant state of refinement. You know, as mm. technology progresses, all these different systems have to be monitored, and and um, a lot of due diligence goes into the process. So it's it's constantly evolving, and yeah, you just and you've got to take your time.
0: Out of interest, uh, were you there during the Brexit vote as well?
1: Ah, oh, Brexit, my favorite word. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a running joke in the office that uh, when I was in Australia, uh, I didn't vote during the Brexit. Uh, announcement, a referendum rather, and that I have no right to complain basically. Uh, But my response every time is that, well, look, I've come back to face the music. I'm here. (laughs) Um,
0: Oh, that's so funny.
1: Look, I think Brexit is a positive thing longer term. Um, Mm. You know, I think the pound will benefit longer term too. You know, it might take several years, but, you know, once you establish more deals in different countries like US, China, Canada and things, I think things will largely improve.
0: Yeah, look, I used to, I remember the day of the vote, I'm thinking, Jesus, what have they done? But now, I think, you know, that migration element through uh, the Syrian refugees really brought all of this to a head. But people have been focused on that. And I think if you look at it from a different perspective and we've, you know, here in Australia, being involved in the fintech space, we've had, um, and I feel like I've said this in Tom's interview as well, uh, we had sort of the mayor of the city of London came out with uh, other dignitaries from uh, the UK and it's, it's very rare that he would make a visit to Australia and you sort of get this sense that, well, what, there's always a funny bit about the UK's foreign policy for the EU being totally focused on making it, disconnected and breaking it up and all that sort of stuff to keep everyone fighting in between each other and not worried about the UK itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that funny element where people think that Brexit is just a way to bring down uh, the the European Union and make everyone squabble amongst each other. But yep. I, honestly, I can see the pivot towards Asia and I think that's the big thing for me is, you know, the number one free trade deal that they've highlighted through uh, this, you know, these dignitaries that came out last year is the Australian free trade deal, and it's basically already there. So as soon as Brexit is done, technically in March, mm-hmm. then both governments will sign a free trade deal, which basically allows the UK to backdoor into Asia. So that's exactly. been the most interesting thing from my perspective. And you know, obviously there's the the short term ramifications, but I think in the long term, when the EU's well, what is the EU growing out each year? Not even one percent. as a a block. You know, birth rates are down, relying on immigration, which causes political angst. I can totally see why it's a smart deal now in the long term. But we're saying that we need hindsight in five years from now, we'll see what happens, I guess. Now, one of the other elements of your job or has been part of your job is this sort of trading risk management. I know when I left the business, you were extensively managing the risk for the firm more so. I remember the days of, of us in a, in a very basic way looking at our exposure and you sort of turned that into a bit of an art form where the business was managing it a lot more closely. So I'm curious, yep. um, you know, based on your experience, whether it's profiling, client trading, managing liquidity provider positions or, you know, exposures, I'm curious as to what lessons you can impart to novices about how you view risk and exposure?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, I'm sure you'd agree. Jordan, like seeing how everything operates on the back end of these platforms, it's kind of like peeking behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 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 There's so much going on, so many uh, layers to this, um, in terms of technology and and uh, you know liquidity providers and everything, which makes the trading side work. And I think that when it comes to novice traders, I think we have to dispel this notion of, you know, when, when you're sitting in front of the platform, there's someone on the other side who's pitted against you um, because it's just not true. Um, you know, I think, if, you know, if a trade goes wrong for a novice, it's, it's quite common for someone to get frustrated and think that, you know, it's a broker or it's a technology or, you know, these sort of scenarios but I think if novice understood that most brokers, particularly us, we're interested in the longevity of a client. You know, we want to have a relationship for several years, you know. Um, we'd want to do everything mm. to help you to continue trading for a long period of time. Um, so basically, uh, in terms of risk management, everything's set up so that clients can get, you know, the best possible price and just make everything as smooth as possible. So I think yeah. it's it's just Again, it's just um, getting it into the consciousness that is—it's it's a bigger picture. Yeah, if
0: that makes but, sense. But and also that a lot of this stuff is on the individual. It sounds like you're saying that a lot of this is on the individual in a way. Like you mentioned before about the longevity of the client. Like we in this sort of business, in the retail forex business, you want the client to stay around for a long time because you're not really making, the only money you're making off their trade is either a commission or a spread generally in this business model. Some people will try and make money off their book, but by and large, most retail brokers seem to just net that exposure off with a liquidity provider, as you said. So, that's like one of the major elements of, of running this business is dealing with liquidity providers. So, I think that's a good point is sort of getting out of this mindset that there's someone there trying to make you do bad and and maybe it's more on you and how you process your own processes and also how you think about trading. Um, so I, thought, exactly. I like that. That's a good point. Yeah, you're just sort of yeah. you're
1: part of a bigger picture and um, it's taking responsibility for your trades and, and um, seeing how you can improve yourself and, you know, asking certain questions, you know, am I trading at illiquid times or – I trade during a, a major announcement and have I have basically building your own plan. Um,
0: yeah. Now, I, I realize we're, uh, we're getting to the end, so I need to muscle in one more key question for you around your career. And that to me is this, this analysis element, this fundamental versus technical analysis. And I know analysis has been a core element of your career. Mm -hmm. We know, speaking before about chess and its impact, and maybe I believe that that impacted your interest in looking for patterns. So I'm just curious, you know, from your perspective, one, what is the differences between fundamental and technical analysis? And two, why do you think you were so drawn into technical analysis over fundamental?
1: Okay. Um, Well, firstly, obviously, fundamental is more uh, news-driven Um, It's the, you know, in in terms of sort of if you're analyzing a business, the core uh, elements of that business and and what makes it tick. Whereas technical analysis is more price driven, um, you know, price action um, on the charts and and that sort of thing. Um, In terms of where this analytical insight came from, it's sort of, I guess I've always been a very visual person. Uh huh. You know, again, okay? it's just seeing patterns and and pattern recognition. So that's that's what draw me to uh, technical analysis.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's such a fascinating area. I remember for years, I I didn't really think much of technical analysis. I was always more of a fundamental person because I liked hearing about the story. And it's funny how both you and I have these different traits, and therefore that impacted the the yeah. area of preference, so to speak. But I remember reading um, a really interesting piece. Uh, called Support for Resistance by Carol Osler, which was when she was working at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and uh, she was just obviously speaking about how technical analysis is applicable or where it is applicable and particularly in foreign exchange. So it was sort of like a peer-reviewed piece of research, which is super interesting. But I know you've become well-known. Like I actually saw this on a few comments and blog posts here and there when I was searching your name that people had actually commented on your point and figure analysis. It's like you're the point and figure guy. Uh, Where did that come from, the specifically point and figure analysis?
1: Um, I mean, I think everybody's – every technical analyst and people within the trading industry, you're sort of drawn towards certain things. Um, What I like about point and figure is – well, first off, it was one of the original uh, areas of technical analysis. It was developed – uh, back in the trading pits, you know, in the early 1920s, if not before then, huh. you know, you've got these people without any technology whatsoever scribbling down on bits of paper and, and trying to come up with a system that they could work with. And this one was, this was it, it was point and figure, um, which developed over the years. And and what I like about it is its simplicity you know, you're, you're removing the time element for starters, um, and you're, it's purely based on supply and demand, which, as we know, you know, that's what the markets are all about. Um, yeah. So you're seeing clear psychological levels of where price is looking to go. Yeah. Um,
0: and the, yeah, it's it's super interesting how old it is. I'm just looking here on Wikipedia. The technique is over a hundred years old. Exactly. 1898, the first it's kind of. First book written about it, I think it was referenced in the game in Wall Street. Which is Exactly. That's very, very interesting.
1: It's kind of become like a, a lost art in a sense. Um, you know, <laughs> it's not something that's it's developed with the technology. I think it's kind of been forgotten about. So um yeah, I'm trying to get a bit of a resurgence in the era. <laughs> yeah.
0: This reminds me of that um lost art of making a certain type of steel that was in uh, uh somewhere in Iran back in the day and and. It, Every now and then these sort of artifacts pop up but they don't know how to forge this steel anymore, which is super interesting. I I, I totally agree. I think things sometimes get lost. I think um, like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have spoken a lot about how in this day and age with computers, people are often looking for these crazy uh, machine learning driven ways of mathematically calculating things when – oftentimes there's just a simple process involved that takes patience and exactly. so um, exactly. it's interesting to hear very interesting to hear you say that. We'll obviously reference a lot there in the show notes about point figure I'll make sure we include the Wikipedia page as well. having a look at that the other day was was very interesting just to learn about the history of it but we've got to jump into some short fast questions to finish us off. Oh, okay. So, I know you've had a new bub, but um, maybe give us an idea of what your current morning and evening routine looks like.
1: I'm not even sure what it looks like at the moment, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm literally, I'm literally changing nappies and, and trying to fit in a bit of sleep here and there, um, give my wife a bit of a break. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's, it's very new, so... <laughs> I mean <laughs> just I basically wake,
0: wake up and sleep as as long as you can, change nappies, go home, so, do the same.
1: Ask me again in about six months, we'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Um if you had to gift a book to the audience, we just had Christmas pass, but let's just assume we've got Christmas coming mm-hmm. up. Uh what was the, what would be the one book that's had the most impact on you that you'd gift them?
1: I would have to say Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill.
0: I think I just saw that in a friend's bookshelf the other day. I think that's a bit of a classic, right? Napoleon Hill? Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. Good choice. Uh, best purchase under $200. Can you think of one?
1: That That is easy um, because it's been very recent. <laughs> it's basically this device which makes bottles for babies to the right <laughs> milk temperature, everything. It takes oh. all the thought out of the. Is, is that you know, sort two of. Two in the, the th- morning? It's a godsend.
0: It looks like a little, um, you just sort of plug the baby's bottle into it and you just click on. It's sort of like a kettle, but for baby's bottles, yeah?
1: Exactly. Yeah. I like that. That's a good one. It's a game changer.
0: <laughs> Any new parents out there? <laughs> there you go. Um, last question for you uh, before we finish off. If you could have a billboard anywhere in the world, where would it be, first of all? Uh, location's important. And what do you think it would say? Or what do you think it would have yeah. on it?
1: I think I would have a billboard which says keys, phone, and wallet, and I'd put it right outside my house, just <laughs> near the front door. That's, that's what I'd say because oh, I am key. terrible.
0: <laughs> really? Keys, phone, wallet, they're, they're terrible for you to pick up?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm always missing one of them now and again. So as my wife would uh, Agree with. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what I'd have. Very good. I'll A like big reminder. That.
0: Well, look, Adam, we've just passed 31 minutes. Thanks for doing this with us. Uh, I know you've had an exciting few months. Uh, but, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jordan. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes. And consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching GoMarkets. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S. Until next time, thanks for listening.